0: Wanna hear some true ghost stories, real monster sightings, and the occasional creepypasta? Welcome, this is the Darkness Prevails podcast. And if you answered yes to the previous question, you've come to the right place. This is the audio library of the Darkness Prevails YouTube channel. Now, lock the door and light some candles. This night will be dark. Watch your back. Something might be coming for you. This world is a strange one. We at Darkness Prevails just love our monster stories, but tonight we have something a little different, something far more terrifying. Tonight, I will share with you five real monster attacks. Each of the experiencers of these stories were either chased, stalked, or even harmed by the creature they sighted. This gives a whole new feeling to hearing these sightings. Now, not only is there a chance that we might encounter something terrifying, there is a chance that creature before us might just rip out your throat. Bring a Band-Aid or two. Number one, Encounter with the Dog Man by 3Z. I grew up in the state of Michigan in a town called Port Austin near the Great Lake Huron. It's a small town with not too much to do besides peruse the mom and pop shops or head to the diner in the center of town to check out some cool classic cars at the show it held once a week. Whenever I could, I chose to escape the mundanity and go to my father's cabin in the neighboring city of Grindstone. It was a small country town with nothing much but woods and farmland perfect for hunting and fishing. At the time, I was 14 years old, and I went up for the weekend with my older brother, a Marine straight out of Iraq, returning home that same weekend for a short hunting trip. My brother was tough as nails, and he wasn't afraid of anything, but that day, I would see a side of him I wouldn't soon forget. We took the ATV and headed out to a cornfield with an abandoned farmhouse. The cornfield opens up to a clearing, and beyond that is dense woods. To set the scene, we had been hunting pheasants. We entered from the opposite side that is a smaller, lighter woodsy area, but has a trail where we parked the ATV that leads out to the cornfield. We headed out fairly late, about 4pm after fishing earlier that day and hadn't had that much luck, so we were deciding to head back around 7 at night. We were inside the abandoned farmhouse. While I was exploring, my brother sat down on an old chair for a cigarette and called me over to the front to check something out. His face was pale and choked the words, look over there. I saw what seemed to be a huge wolf about 300 yards in the clearing ahead of us, standing on its hind legs. The thing was massive and covered in thick black fur. I couldn't really see how tall it actually was from this distance, but its front legs looked huge and muscular with an oddly shaped torso and long slender hind legs. My brother told me to grab one of the shotguns and when it heard him, it turned and looked exactly at us, seeming to be leering slightly. It then took a few strides on its hind legs, then went down on all fours and darted into the cornfield in the direction of our four-wheeler. It was starting to get dark now, the sky red, purple, and orange. We decided to enter the cornfield from the farthest end that that thing went into. I was on flashlight duty while he walked ahead of me with his shotgun and the entire time, I felt like I was being watched and I swear I heard nearby rustling and low growls or snarls when we would stop. Eventually, what was a 10 minute walk seemed to take an hour and we made it to the trail where the ATV was parked. I started to calm down now that I could see my surroundings a little better and that's when I heard the iconic horror movie cliche of a branch or twig snapping underfoot followed by rustling in the cornfield behind us. I shone the flashlight on a patch of stalks where I thought I heard the movement, and sure enough, I saw a pair of yellow reflective eyes about six feet off the ground through a crack in the corn stalks. Behind me, my brother yelled, fuck off, then it let out a loud, eerie howl that sounded like it was right in my ear. My brother fired once hitting the top of the stalk and told me to hightail it to the ATV and get it started. I started it and when I felt him jump on the back after me, I punched the throttle and floored it to the access road and onto the main road that cuts through town. I looked behind me once and saw a huge black mass start across the road quickly from out of the cornfield into the darkness of the woods. We headed back to our house in town that night and didn't return until about 12 noon the next day to collect our things from the cabin, still unnerved. I had always heard of rumors of the Michigan Dogman but I always thought it was just an old wives tale like the boogeyman that my dad told me to scare me straight as a child, or just some state urban legend like the skunk ape of Florida or Chupacabra. To this day, my brother and I talk about it over some beers, but it was definitely a scary experience for the both of us. I still go hunting in those parts to this day, but haven't seen anything since, and I hope that I don't see it again some nights at my grandma's house i feel a sudden urge to explore the ruins of the house in the grove i surely will have to do it when i inherit the land but honestly i'm a little afraid of what i might find out there number two the creature in the vent by Sunky. It all started after we moved into our new home. It was a great place with three bedrooms, a huge kitchen, a large family room, four bathrooms, and an attic room. I claimed the attic room myself the instant I set foot in the new place. It was rather large with a huge vent about six feet where my bed was going to be. That didn't phase me as I loved the feeling of the air conditioning on my body. When we were settled, which took about two days, our huge Persian Himalayan cat, Maud, claimed my room as hers as well. I swear that cat weighed 15 pounds at her lightest. These details will be relevant later. The weirdness began when I'd wake up every morning and see that the vent was slightly open and Maud would be sitting at the foot of my bed, staring at the open vent, her tail twitching slightly. I didn't think much of it at first, as the AC had a ridiculously powerful fan that would send air blasting whenever it came on, but it happened every morning the same scene greeting me every time I woke up. But on one stormy night, my perspective on the whole thing changed. A particularly loud clap of thunder awoke me. I reached to pet my cat for a little reassurance, but she wasn't there. I turned and saw her standing, not sitting as she normally was, at the foot of my bed. Her tail was bushy and her back was arched. Suddenly, she jumped back, hissed and bounded onto my chest, she then turned her head toward the vent and began snarling and growling, making those angry mow, mow, mow noises. There was a huge flash of lightning and I saw a tall, gangly looking figure looming over my bed. I only saw it for a split second before it disappeared into that vent. As soon as it disappeared, Maud became her usually sweet self again, rubbing her head on my cheek. Somehow, I fell asleep after that, simply thinking it was just a weird nightmare or even sleep paralysis. After that night, the vent was no longer open every morning and I soon forgot that horrible night. But it didn't end there. Six years passed after that night and the unusual happenings had ceased, but I still had the feeling that I was being watched. So I shoved my dresser in front of the vent and put all manner of heavy objects on top of it so that it would be impossible to move. I thought I was safe from this thing invading my personal space, but I was very, very wrong. To quickly preface what I'm about to write, I must create a little context. My father had bought some guns after a series of robberies shook the neighborhood. He gave me his double-barreled shotgun to use in case of a break-in. On that fateful night, I was lying awake in my bed, staring at the ceiling and counting the roofing nails. I was just about to drift off when I heard a loud THUD. I jumped and sat up, thud, I could see our now old cat arching disappear under the bed. The noises became louder and closer together and I could see in the darkness that my dresser was shaking violently with every hit. I reached under my bed and grabbed my gun holding it at the ready. The dresser then fell on its front with a loud crack and the vent fell with it. I heard a shuffling noise emerging from the vent and I began to fumble for my lamp switch. I turned it on, and what I saw has haunted me to this day. There it stood, impossibly tall and thin, with long arms, legs, and a thin, spiky tail. Its hands and feet sported claws that were at least a foot long. and that horrible face, its eyes were black, soulless, unblinking. Worst of all, though, it seemed to be smiling, revealing long, jagged teeth. It took a couple of steps toward me, its claws dragging on the floor. I jolted out of my trance and aimed the shotgun at its head. The thing's smile seemed to fall as it seemed to realize that its victim was not at all defenseless. It whipped around and slithered into the vent, moving very quickly for something its size. I jumped off the bed and ran to the vent, aimed my gun and pulled both triggers. The shotgun's thunderous discharge reverberated throughout the house, followed by a noise that I can only describe as a roaring screech high-pitched, and yet also low in tone, if that makes any sense. That sound will stick with me for as long as I live. My parents, of course, came stampeding up the stairs, guns in hand, demanding to know just what in blue blazes was happening. I told them, but my dad just yelled at me for firing a gun in the house. I told him to shine a light down the vent, and he begrudgingly complied. His face paled. I followed his gaze and saw that there was blood everywhere on the walls of the vent. The bloody liquid wasn't red, but a blackish-greenish-bluish color. We looked out the window and saw something limping down the street and into the woods at the end of the road. Needless to say, we all slept in a hotel that night. It's been about five more years since that incident and even now, I still feel as though I am being watched. Strangely, I have moved across the state and I still have that feeling. Maybe I should sleep with my gun tonight. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. Number three, Midnight Creature by Alvin. I live in Serbia. I was 17 when this happened. I was hanging out at a friend's house. There were three of us at the time. We got bored, so we decided to go to my friend's garage and work on his bike. It was getting late and a storm was approaching, so we decided to stay a little bit longer to fix his bike. When we were done, it was already midnight and the storm was upon us. We decided to go home, and my friend went to open the garage door. When he opened it, he screamed and immediately shut the door. He said that something was outside of the garage. Me and my other friend thought that he was only joking, so we went to open the door, but when we did, We realized that he wasn't playing around. There was something running toward the forest at the back of the house. It was tall, and it was running on four legs. It was hairless with white skin. The dog that was in the backyard was scared to death and couldn't move. We stood motionless as well. The creature disappeared in the forest. Without another word, I took off home as fast as I could. It was rainy and windy. My house was close, but I was still running scared of what I saw earlier, but that was not the last time I saw the thing. While running, I felt that something was watching me. I stopped and looked behind me. At the end of the street, that creature was standing and staring at me. I was so scared that I couldn't move. I felt like we were looking at each other for a solid hour, but it could only have been a few seconds. Then, the creature slowly went left towards the forest where it had been running earlier. I never spoke about that with my friends, and I hope that I will never see that thing again. Number 4. Duke Zla by Anonymous I want to start off by saying, all of this happened in 2011 in Siberia, Russia, very thickly wooded. I'm going to relay as much info as possible without giving any info on mission objectives at the time. You may be wondering why there were Americans in Russia, but that is a question I'd rather not answer. At the time, I was in the Marine Corps Forces Special Operations Command or MARSOC. Beginning the story, my team was split up into two squads at the time into two groups of seven. We were to rally back up into a team at camp, so me and my squad of six were not expecting any resistance. We did not have our weapons drawn. Approaching a cliff with a couple hundred foot drop, we started surveying the area below and noticed a small town in the forest below that was not mapped. After calling it in, we were given an order to make our way to this town to investigate. As we hiked, we noticed the trail along the ridge that would double time to the bottom of the cliff and made the decision to take it. After we were halfway down the trail, we heard a bellowing howl above us that almost made me lose balance. It didn't sound like a wolf at all. We looked back up the trail and we saw something that we could have mistaken for a human if it weren't for its arms that were touching the ground. The thing was at least standing nine feet tall. When it was clear it had our attention, It moved back over the summit so that we could not see it. At this point, we had all drawn our weapons and started moving down the trail at a much faster pace. Once we were at the bottom and were back in the woods, I noticed that everything was silent except us crunching through the snow. We could see the small town now, but upon further inspection, all the houses weren't that I would call a house, more like shacks, some not even completely built, just half of a shack, and there was nobody in sight. We made our way into this town and noticed the recently put out fire pit and lots of blood and meat in some of the shacks. We called this in as well, and we were told to stay put until the other squad arrived, which wouldn't be until the next morning. So we made a fire in the fire pit that was there, and were all around the fire talking about pointless things, like another squad mate going to see his wife when back in home territory, when out of nowhere, the same howl came from just outside the light of the fire so loud that I swear it could have shaken the rocks. Immediately, we were all up and had our weapons ready, hot clicking on our beams scanning the surrounding area and seeing nothing when a huge rock hit the ground next to me. we take cover in a shack that was close and another rock hit one of the walls and go straight through. We were finally given the command to engage on sight and press where we think the rock came from. Three of us flanked from around another shack and found nothing. Then we saw it, or saw them I should say, at least a dozen of the same thing we saw on the cliff covered in white fur and long arms almost dragging the ground. They were huge. They were just standing there looking at us with black eyes like nothing I had ever seen. One of them making another howl and then turning and going back into the woods. The rest followed, the rest followed, and I wondered why we didn't fire. I looked over at my squad mates and they all had wide eyes just as me. We got command to pursue and, hesitantly, we did. We walked into the dark forest, following the tracks we could see. When we heard another howl to our right, it was followed by the sound of someone yelling. As we all turned toward the noise, we noticed that one of us was missing. We immediately gave chase to where we thought he was taken, when we came to a blood trail. We followed suit as fast as we could. We caught a glimpse of something in front of us. As we got closer, we saw another one of those things with our squadmate in its hand. I quickly shot at least half of my magazine into it and they both dropped with a thud. I rushed over to my squadmate and realized that he was almost decapitated. I became overwhelmed with a mixture of fear and anger. We grabbed our fallen comrade and returned to the town setting up a perimeter. Needless to say, None of us got any sleep that night. After we returned to base camp the next day, we were given orders to never speak of it. My squadmate was written off as killed in action in Afghanistan. We were told these things are called Duke's Law. In English, this means Spirit of Evil. I'll never forget what happened, and I don't think any of the others will. We didn't find the dead thing's body, and honestly, I didn't care. I think I could say the same for the rest of us, we just wanted to get home and be safe. Number 5. The Flaming Glow at the Cocoa Grove by Bruno P. The following story happened to my aunt at the countryside of Amazonas, Brazil. The whole region is known to own a lot of lore, of course, as it was natives land, and a lot of this lore got mixed with Christian and European culture, creating a strange, colorful and vivid amalgam of weird legends and degenerated beliefs in each independent village. Boogeyman stuff, I used to think, but now, things made me think twice before mocking old stories of ghosts and goblins. When I was a child this tale was told on all occasions when family was together transmitted orally from member to member old to young to keep the family aware of things that lurk in the dark and now i share it with you and you night watchers in this story the names are real of real people almost all of them dead now and maybe they'll not bother with it maybe i hope in the 80s all my family was committed to make money by plantations We had a lot of them, guarana, cattle, coffee, and fishing, but Uncle Cazuza wanted to have a cocoa grove. At the time, the national production of cocoa was at its peak and made sense to invest in one, but he needed a large, wet, and descending land to crop the cocoa. After a month or two in searching, he finally found a piece of excellent land for a very cheap price. At the time, it was about 5,490 Brazilian cruzados. That was the Brazilian money at the moment, Now this amount was worth maybe 200 reyas. what is about less than $100. It was very cheap, and the riparians seemed very eager to leave. He said to my uncle that his daughter was sick at the capital, and he needed money for her treatment. So he was happy to sell the land, and the deal was done. Six months later, Uncle Kazuza and Aunt Lily were living inside the Cocoa Grove, and the grove was almost mature and ready for the harvest. They were happy with the place and the neighborhood, which consisted of one single fisherman family who lived across the stream. The name of the old fisher lady was Nazare, and her husband's name is lost in time. Maybe we'll never remember it, so from now on, we'll just call him the fisherman. As a true man of the Amazon rainforest, and still with hot Portuguese blood running in his veins, my uncle's hobby was to hunt, and the Amazonian woods had plenty of prey tapirs, pacas, that is, a little mammal, very tasty by the way, and birds and hearts. One night, Uncle Kasuza went to the fisherman's house and proposed a hunt. The rainy season was afoot and would be impossible to cross the river and buy victuals on Manos, the main city, so they would just hunt, smoke, and salt the meats and stalk them. The fisherman agreed but was worried about his wife, who happened to be really old and fragile. He himself was way older than my uncle. He had experience and most important, knew the area. The fisherman claimed that his father was the first white to live at that part of the Amazon River. Being said, Uncle Cazza believed him and trusted him. It's always best to hunt at night in the Amazon. Despite the legends of ghost Indians and forest spirits, the animals are all sleeping and just the predators are out. The biggest worry was to find a jaguar. They are very vicious and ferocious in the Amazon. They can grab you and not leave a trace of blood. They are also very good swimmers and will try to kill you near water so you can't run. I think that the jaguars from Amazon learned that behavior from the old tribes around. As the men were hunting, their two wives, Aunt Lily and Nazare stayed at home, sewing and chatting. The hunt would last at least two days so they were very relaxed and talkative. Around 10 at night, the dogs started to bark at the cocoa groves. Even though there were fences around the cocoa grove that kept out animals and occasional thieves. The women started to get scared. They didn't have any means of protection and Nazare being old could not fight off a thief. Aunt Lily stood up and started to close the house, all the doors and windows secured. But it was a simple house, mostly built with the products of land, wood and straw. The brick walls could hold a menace but the windows were made of wood and straw, easy to trespass even with bare hands. The dogs kept barking and a weird, loud sound started to come from the cocoa grove. My aunt was in total despair and ran to the kitchen to grab a knife or something, and over the barks, they heard a distinct sound of footsteps, but not human, definitely not human. Whatever it was, was big and came from the cocoa grove. Nazare stood up in the little living room. The women could hear the thing stomping over the cocoa trees and the fence. The dog stopped barking and now they were crying in fright, as if the devil was hunting them. Suddenly, the straw window opened wide, and a bright light like a torch or an eye entered the house. Aunt Lily used to say that it was like the noon sun inside the house. She fell on the floor and started to scream. Nazare was screaming too, begging the thing to go away, and suddenly she yelled, pray, Bedpin, grab a Bible and pray, but Aunt Lily answered, I don't know, I remember nothing. The thing invaded the little house with its cold flames, not hot, only bright and blinding. A big ball of yellow light, but not bright yellow, but feverish like guitar. The old woman stood up and started to yell the Credo, an old prayer to shelter yourself from evil spirits. The voice was so loud, my aunt says that all the house was vibrating and the dogs kept barking Nazare screamed and screamed all sorts of prayers and laments to God towards the creature. The thing started to twinkle and vanish. The sound of steps restarted. Slowly and slowly, the straw window closed until all the light dimmed, drowning all the rooms in a soft darkness. And Lily could hear the thing going away, back to the cocoa groves. The sound of steps very far now. The dogs ran after it, none of them came back. After a week, Uncle Kazuza left and came back to Manos to work with my grandpa. To this day, the land and cocoa groves are still our property, but no one lives there. In the early 90s, my mom started to rent the place for parties and events and then to build a house to host parties, but nothing ever lasted. Only the cocoa remains. I think that whatever is there was preventing the men to steal the fruits of the land as the old Indians would say, "'cause we don't need them. They were the product of our greed.'" After all of these events, my uncle remembered of the riparian and what he said about the treatment of his daughter. But if he needed so much money, why would he sell that excellent and fertile land for such a small price? He must have known about the thing that roams the cocoa groves. But what was it? For years, this question haunted us. Aliens, maybe, or some kind of natural spirit, I don't know, and part of me wants to discover. Sometimes, when I'm going to the countryside, I pass in front of the wet, descending land. One day, all of this will be mine, and I'll have to do something with it. Rent, build a house, or a plantation. I'm thinking about a cane field, but definitely not corn. We all know that corn attracts even weirder shit.
1: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too?